focus will be on verse 17. So we'll begin reading a little earlier in the passage. Children, here are your questions for this morning. First, why can we call the Lord the God of our salvation? Two, how did the Lord provide salvation from sin? Three, what are some ways we can show our thankfulness to God? And four, is there a special song of praise that you like to sing to God? Then I thought of a bonus question. What is a doxology? First Timothy chapter one, we'll begin reading in verse 12. This is the word of God. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer persecutor, an insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had, acted in ignorant, I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ may display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Again, to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. There ends the reading of God's word. Let's pray together. Lord, our God, we do thank you so much for your word. We thank you that in your word you have revealed to us all that we need to know for your glory and for our salvation. And Lord, we pray now as we turn our attention to the preaching of your word, we ask that you would bless it, Lord, that we would still hear from you through the preaching of your word. And so we pray that you would sanctify the words that come from this pulpit to your use. Please send your Holy Spirit in a special way to help the preacher, and please help all of us who will hear this morning to receive from you as we come to you in the name and in the power of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. If you're a Christian, how often do you simply stop and thank the Lord that a wretched sinner like you has been saved by his grace, that you've been made right with God? How often do you simply stop and thank God for your salvation? Now, true thankfulness is definitely a lifestyle of thanksgiving, a life of gratitude, translated a life of obedience. That's the greatest expression of our thanksgiving to God for salvation. But we also want to make sure that we're expressing heartfelt thanksgiving in words to God, our Savior. I would suggest that we're to do that daily. 
But you may or may not wake up every morning and thank God for the breath of life that you have. That you can see a new day, that you woke up in the land of the living. But how often do we wake up in the morning and set our pace on the fact that we've been reconciled to God, that we as sinners in Christ Jesus have been reconciled to the everlasting eternal God. Paul has just been recounting his own conversion. And he's been reflecting on the mercy that God showed to him in abundance. If you recall, he recognizes himself as the chief of sinners, the chief of sinners. And immediately after going through the description of what it was like to be transformed, what it was like for the most wretched of sinners in his mind, the chief, the worst, the best, however you want to call it, sinner he knew, when he reflects on that, he suddenly breaks into an outburst of doxology, glorifying God with his words. Whether he's penning these words literally himself or he's dictating them to someone else, you can see it moving very slowly. I was a wretched sinner. I was lost in my sin. I was under God's wrath. But in his mercy, he saved me. And then suddenly, he couldn't stop himself. He couldn't go on with words except for to praise the God of his salvation, to bring him praise and glory. And in doing so, he's giving credit where credit is due. He understands that his salvation is purely an act of God's grace, of God's mercy on his soul. In doing so, he's not bypassing Jesus. Paul is very much aware, like every Christian is aware, that if it were not for the saving work of Jesus Christ, him dying on the cross, him bearing our sins, him conquering our sins, Satan and death itself, that we would not have salvation. Paul is aware of that, but he's He's going to the primary source, the one true and living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Well, I would suggest that we need to stop on occasion, if not daily, and praise God for the greatness of our salvation. That we would stop and take in the magnificence first of the person of God, all those wonderful attributes of his glory and his power and his majesty and who he is, of his holiness. And then consider the fact that wretched sinners as we are, he still in his mercy saved us through the Lord Jesus Christ. He breaks into this doxology. To the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. To the king of the ages, the one who is sovereign rule over all things, the king of eons, there is no other who reigns sovereignly over all things, visible and invisible. His reign and his rule is timeless. He's the only God. There is no other. There's only one God. All the false gods, all the imaginations, all the the ranks of demons and devils, all the ranks of angels, none compare to him. There is only one God. All the false gods that are made are nothing. There's only one that can be designated 
the one true and living God. In fact, the very designation, the very nature of God suggests very clearly that it doesn't allow for any equals. There are no equals to God. There's only one. And then Paul focuses on two particular attributes or characteristics of God. First of all, he's immortal. He's uncreated. He's undecaying. He's undiminishing. He's timeless. There are other things that won't decay, but there's no one or no thing that was not created that God did not himself create. God has no creator. He has no beginning. He has no end. And we can't really fathom the reality of timelessness. But when we think of of God as one who is forever, we should be struck with stunned awe at who he is. This God is also invisible, unseen with human eyes, dwells in unapproachable light. If we get simply a glimpse of his glory, as we see some individuals get in scripture, it's, it's astounding, it's terrifying, it's awe-inspiring. This invisible God that no human eye can fully behold, flashes of glory, should, should lead us again to, to a stunned awe. Paul could have kept going. There's a whole treasury of characteristics or attributes that God has that could catch any saint up in praise. Scripture is filled with them. The best way to see that is to go through Scripture yourself. Start with Genesis, go to Revelation, and and take the time to mark down characteristic traits that you see in God. Or maybe take the time to mark down and record the actions that you see this God taking throughout the history of redemption. Or maybe even simply take the time to mark down all the different names that are attributed to God. Some that simply speak to his person, others that speak to the things he does. And you will get a fuller picture of this awesome God that Paul is referring to. Nothing compares to Scripture. If you like the poetic version of those things, go through the Psalms and you'll see the richness of his attributes and characteristics expressed there. The Westminster Divines in our confession touch on a whole list of these attributes. And I don't like to do this too often, but I want to read to you what our confession says. And and if you want to just listen, listen to the descriptions of our great and mighty God. Some of you might want to close your eyes. Don't fall asleep. You might want to close your eyes. Just take in the person of God. And I would fathom that the Westminster Divine said, even this, scriptural as it is, is inadequate to to describe the glories of God. There is but one only living and true God who is infinite in being and perfection a most pure spirit, invisible without body parts or passions, immutable, immense, eternal, incomprehensible, almighty, most wise, most holy, most free, most absolute, working all things according to the counsel of his own immutable and most righteous will for his own glory 
most loving, gracious, merciful, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin, the rewarder of them that diligently seek him and withal most just and terrible in his judgments, hating all sin, and who will by no means clear the guilty. God has all life, glory, goodness, blessedness in and of himself, and is alone in and unto himself all-sufficient, not standing in need of any creatures which he has made, nor deriving any glory from them, but only manifesting his own glory in, by, unto, and upon them. He is the alone fountain of all being, of of whom, through whom, and to whom are all things, and hath most sovereign dominion over them, to do by them, for them, or upon them whatsoever he pleases. In his sight all things are open and manifest, His knowledge is infinite, infallible, and independent upon the creature. So as nothing is to him contingent or uncertain, he is most holy in all his counsels, in all his works, and in all his commands to him is due from angels and men and every other creature, whatsoever worship, service, or obedience he is pleased to require of them. Our God, to put it plainly, is an awesome God. And if we think seriously about the fact that we have been reconciled to him, considering who we are, we ought to be in stunned shock at his grace and respond with a great doxology. We can keep it simple. I think if you took one of those attributes, you would have plenty to praise God for. We can keep it simple. One of our women was describing how simple the praise is of children can be. Simply come out of their hearts, if they're trained right, that God is their creator and he's made all things. Simple praises flow from their hearts. She said, we, we don't want to lose the sense of wonder of the divine, the God of our salvation. Children are better at simple everything. Thank God, she's quoting now, thank God for the chickens God gave us and the eggs that God gave us through the chickens. God is so good to give us these blueberries. What a beautiful rainbow God put in the sky. Such simple things, pointing direction to God. How much more our salvation. We look around and we see his creation and his provision, and we ought to give him thanks. How much more the greatness of our salvation to simply break into praise. Sometimes as simple as, I praise you, God, for my salvation. He's worthy of praise in and of himself. But keep in mind here that that Paul's response to God is directly to the fact that sinners are saved by grace. He's responding to the fact that his own wretched self was saved by the grace of God and reconciled to this very this very one immortal, invisible God, the king of the ages. He's been reconciled to him. And so every Christian should look at it this way, reconciled to this holy God, giving him honor, he says, honor. These are things that God already has, but but believers embrace them and express them. We bring honor to God. That, That word almost seems inadequate to bring to God. 
honor. We've diminished that word quite a bit. We honor some very unhonorable things in our culture. We sometimes honor, make heroes out of actors and actresses, or there's, there's heroes of, of music, and, and we kind of have it turned upside down. We honor all kinds of people. We fail to honor some people that should be honored. But the honor of God is, is so far above anything that we can imagine that any person in this whole entire creation could ever deserve. He desires all the accolades and all the praise that we can bring. All honor to God. And all glory. He's all glorious. And all his creation is to recognize his glory. There's no one higher. There's no one more glorious. He's above the angels. He's above all creatures. We hear the angels worshiping God in scripture. It's awe-inspired worship. When we hear the creatures responding to their creator, it's awe-inspiring. When the elders in Revelation, in the church, are before God, representing the whole church, are worshiping God. It's awe-inspired, glorified saints never cease to praise our glorious God. Here's something of what it sounds like. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. And that same kind of praise resounds over and over, forever and ever. Praise to the King of kings, King of ages, King of eons, from age to age, eon to eon, unending and unceasing. Perpetual. So you can probably see, in response to understanding that Paul, the most wretched sinner he knows, was, being, was reconciled to God, how he would stop and praise God. It's not just some random insertion of a doxology there. It's a heartfelt praise to the God of his salvation. Well, if you've trusted in Jesus, that's for you. Now, this is not a tack on, but if you've not trusted in Jesus, this verse is a very good eye-opening passage that the living God sees all things. He's immortal. He's invisible. Think of all those other attributes. He knows you. And if you've not been reconciled to him through Christ, you're in opposition to him. But also recognize that there's a testimony here of grace for the chiefest, the worst, or the best sinner you could ever know. Paul has testified that God is gracious and his grace is sufficient to save the chief of sinners, but only through Christ. And so the only response is to plead for his mercy and repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. But here we have the doxology of a saint saved by grace, and that should be a doxology that we can all resonate with. You see, the song of the redeemed is a doxology to the God of our salvation. We lift our souls up to him in praise. Some of us 
including myself in this, some of us simply are not enthusiastic enough about our salvation. We take it for granted. Day by day we go about our business and we forget that we're wretched sinners saved by grace, reconciled to him. We forget. We're not enthusiastic about our salvation. We don't express that to God enough that we're thankful that we're saved. We don't mention it to others very much at all. And I'm afraid it's because we don't really grasp how awesome and how magnificent he is, immortal, invisible, the king of the ages. And we don't grasp how small and by nature how sinful we really are. And so there's a disconnect. And we can become complacent in our praise and our adoration. Now I want to say this. If we expect to have ecstatic outbursts all the time to be our norm, we're going to be disappointed. And if we think that's the norm, we're going to get very frustrated with ourselves and beat ourselves up. We'll think that we're lesser and less spiritual. My simple point is, don't hesitate to express your praise and thanksgiving to God who saved a wretch like you. Take time to really consider the grace of God shown to you and how he accomplished it for you through Christ. And take time to express back to him in doxology. Going to put it in five points quickly. Three R's. I don't like to do that so much. Three R's to help. If you think about these things, you may just find yourself breaking into spontaneous praise. First of all, reflect. Reflect daily on who the person of God is. Run through your mind what you know and what you continue to discover about God in his scripture. I'm not going to go back and read that chapter of the confession again, but here's a simple one from our catechism. God is spirit, infinite, eternal, unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. Reflect on who God is. And with all those things, never forget that God is love. And infinite and powerful and mighty as he is, holy as he is, he loved sinners like you, sinners like me, so much that he sent his only begotten son to die, to bear our sins, to die on the cross and conquer all those things that we are completely helpless against. Sin, death, and the devil himself. Reflect on that. Recount to yourself regularly what's been done for you. Maybe write it down. Have you ever written down your testimony? Have you ever looked back on whatever your background might be, how you came to know the Lord, whether it's from the time you were born into the church and learned about Jesus and the Savior or you were radically converted out of the world? Have you ever really thought about how God brought you, sinner, into his kingdom. 
you might find yourself writing it down. If it's as simple as this, I am a sinner saved by grace. I am a sinner saved by grace. I read a very brief testimony and it went like this. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is my Lord. Jesus is my Lord alone. No matter how simple or complex your testimony is, if Jesus is your Lord, you have much to give God praise for. Recount that to yourself. Remember who you were by nature. Remember what he's done for you. I mentioned this briefly last week, and I mentioned it again briefly here. People who have an especially wretched background, Paul included. You think Paul ever forgot what it looked like to see Stephen stoned to death with his approval? Wretched sinners might look back and, and again, not be able to move forward because how could a sinner like me be saved? And those things haunt us. We can't get hung up in the past. And perhaps it will help us to lose ourselves at times in doxology so our thoughts would be on his amazing grace and not our sin. We can't forget. But we can put put to rest our sorrows, our guilt, and the scars of past sins. John Calvin puts it this way. Here's what he thinks happened to Paul. He says, This sublime praise of the grace which God has bestowed upon him swallows up the remembrance of his former life. I'm going to read that again. This sublime praise of the grace which God has bestowed upon him swallows up the remembrance of of his former life. Something one of the men in our Up and Adam group said Tuesday morning caught my ear. And it has to do with that idea of recognizing our sin, repenting of our sin, but then, then being allowed to move forward. He said, the knowledge of sin and confession places us in proper relation to God and for thanksgiving for his mercy and grace. Yes, acknowledging our sin and our need to be delivered, but acknowledging the greatness of salvation and our great and awesome God. So reflect on who God is, recount to yourself what he's done for you, rejoice in the mercy shown to you. Respond with a life wholly devoted to him, and then react Don't hold back your praise. Don't hold back your doxology. It may be elaborate, like a song. It may be simple. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Sometimes it might just be super simple. Praise God. Praise God. Let's pray.
And Lord, we do praise you. We praise you, first of all, because you are the only one, you are the only God, and you are worthy of all glory, honor, power, and praise. But we also praise you because you have shown unimaginable, undeserved grace and mercy to wretched sinners like us. And Lord, we thank you for that deliverance. And we know that it's full, free, and complete in what you've accomplished for us and applied to us through what Christ has done. Lord, we cannot forget, and we shouldn't forget, what we were by nature. And many of our sins will still haunt us. But Lord, Lord, we lose ourselves in the wonders of your love, the glories of your grace, the mercy that you've shown to us. We'll never forget the cost because we'll always have the cross before us, and even in glory, we'll look upon the one who appears to have been crucified, the Lamb of God. But Lord, we are so thankful that we can enjoy full salvation. Even us, even we who are, in our own estimation, the chief sinner, you've shown grace. And so we praise you. And we come to you in the name of our Lord, who was dead, but who now lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen.